I used to do lots of things. Uh, this is uh, lemonade and uh, vodka. Okay. I'm, I'm doing the thing. You like your vodka, boy, right? I do like vodka because it doesn't tend to give me hangovers. Um, I'm a big, yeah, I'm a big vodka tonic, vodka club guy, clubs, vodka soda, I should say. Oh, yeah, I am. But lemonade, a little too sugary. Is it low sugar? Uh, yeah, yeah, this is a, we, um, this is homemade lemonade, so we got a lot of lemons. It's very Southern on you. You do have a lemon tree. I'm very jealous of that. Three lemon trees. Do, do you actually pick the lemons or no? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like really? one of the few, yeah, yeah. I'm dead serious. Like there, it's one of the few opportunities I get to be like actually Mexican where like I go out with thing, <laughs> like, picking fruit out. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> it was funny because because uh, every time I do that, my roommates were like, "That's the first time I've ever seen Joe look Mexican." Like that was kind of like. <laughs> you're Jose when you're doing that. I don't. Yeah. Um, All right. But, uh, do you have any of the? What, are there birds? What's the bird? It's like a parrot or something. Yeah, we got parrots. We got wild parrots. And That's for the longest time, I was cool with it when I first moved to, to Highland Park. Because yeah. there's a whole crazy story, but long story short, somebody in Pasadena, which is just north of where I live, yeah, they yeah. bought like parrots, like tropical parrots, and yeah, uh, I guess rich they just let them, yeah, and then they just let them run loose, fly loose, I guess, and yeah. so now we have parrots. And for the yeah, long, for, which is when I first moved to LA, when I was living in that shared house, it was cool, like waking up yeah. at like six thirty, seven in the morning, hearing parrots chirp, not really chirping. It's kind of a weird name, like squawk. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was kind of cool. It's like, oh, this is LA. Just you wake up to the sound of parrots. But now they yeah. they eat our oranges and like they yeah. they half they eat half the orange and then and just leave it and they and they drop it and, and so right now <laughs> like our whole front yard. <laughs> I know, and then I have to pick it up. Um, so our whole front yard is just littered with half-eaten oranges, and then and then they attract rats. So we had a rat problem briefly. Last they attract rats. Oh, the oranges attract rats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you ever see coyotes? No, I think I've seen some like when I went to Griffith Park, but I haven't seen them by my area though. No. Mm. Yeah, you gotta be careful with them with Chomper. Yeah. But you don't. He, Chomper's not really like outdoors, right? Without nah. except on a leash. Nah. You don't nah, just like let him out. Nah. Or he's in that like little space you have, which is like the little yeah. Chomper space. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, about birds and you being Mexican. What are we talking about today? <laughs> um. So you and I. Both read Quentin Tarantino's uh, Cinema Speculation. Um, so what do you think of it? What would you think? Uh, what are your sort of general thoughts, your initial thoughts on the book? Um, good. Mm. Very nice. good. It was It was very, um, you could tell, I like a, a, when a book is quote unquote written by like a celebrity who's not a writer, yeah. like uh, and another example that comes to mind would be Scar Tissue by Anthony Kiedis, like his book like when i'm reading that it feels like he wrote it like it doesn't yeah. feel like it was a ghost writer and that's how i felt about cinema yes. speculation um i could i could like 
hear his voice, his cadence, his uh, passion. It didn't yeah. feel like he hired someone to like compile his notes into a book about 1970 cinema. So I did yeah, appreciate yeah. that. Also, yeah. I love that. Dude, do you? I don't didn't realize like I associate Quentin Tarantino with orange. I don't know mm. why. I feel like it used to be yellow because of like Kill Bill. Yeah. And uh, he talks a lot about like Jallo films, which are like Italian um, yeah. horror. It's like a horror genre for Italian movies. Jallo, yeah. by the way, means yellow in Italian. Um, uh. So, um, but I don't know. When I got this book, I was like, oh, that just like fits so well. This, mm. this cover. I'm going to take it off because I like to read without. It's a really covering. thick, floppy book cover. It is. Like, and also, of course, my cat oh, right here, he managed to get to it. You can see the puncture marks. Uh, I took uh, it off. And I thought that, that I thought it was going to protect it. Yeah. Little did I know. Uh, he's a pain in the ass. He's right here. Um, um, or, orange is a very 70s color. Like um, I've seen a lot of stores in LA, like, like, like hipster um, sort of yeah. vintage clothing stores. And like it'll be like yellow, orange, and brown. Like So I, I associate that with, with 70s. I do too. And so they were like New York City taxis and like hot summers. And I don't know why. I think like the 70s were just hot. Everything was hot. If there was lots of summer <laughs> movies, everyone was like pissed off and sweaty and angry. And there was... <laughs> Just like the fire hydrant kids, like cranking open fire hydrants, and yeah, yeah, I, it's very much a stereotype. But I always think like New York City. I think it's because of some of the like mean streets and Taxi Driver yeah. and uh, Son of Sam, which didn't take, which wasn't, wasn't. Um, it takes place in the seventies. It wasn't shot in the seventies, of course. Yeah. But um, just those sorts of movies. Like I think I don't know why I think uh, like New York City and just grimy and gross and hot. Oh yeah. Yeah, I love that. I, lo I love that 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 70s depiction of New York City. I, I do too. So let's talk about that because so yeah. basically the book is kind of just Quentin Tarantino talking about movies he likes, how they impacted his. So you do actually learn a lot about his childhood, and it yeah. does. I, I don't think people understandably because how would you like know about his childhood and yeah. how it impacted, of course, his um his uh, directing and what yeah. kind of stories he wrote and and made and um and how kind of uh it seemed like a like a tough childhood really interesting but also kind of sad yeah, yeah like he obviously he didn't know his father at all right right, right. and he was raised by a single mom and it sounded like a lot of times like with roommates and kind of like drifters and people coming in and out. And he never, he never said he was in any danger, which is good yeah. Um, yeah. because I feel like parents in like the sixties and seventies, there were a lot of latchkey kids. There were a lot of um, just like, sh honestly, just like shitty parents who yeah. Yeah. Uh, like the Joan, like Joan Didion's books kind of, well, I forget which one that is. It plays played as it lays or the center will not hold it, whatever th those, but it talks about that, like how they would have parties and there'd be needles on the ground and a baby like crawling by in a diaper with like heroin needles on the ground. Yeah. Um, but it didn't sound like any of that, but just really his passion for movies came from his mom. And, yeah. and that's just what you did back then. And not just then, but like, even if, even if you watch like Seinfeld, which I do, like I probably watch yeah. Seinfeld start to finish every few years. Yeah. We're yeah. just constantly going to the movies. It's yeah. like what you did on Saturday night or Friday night sometimes. And um, yeah, it's crazy. Like going to the movies for me, it's like, like I go once a month or once every couple of months or so. You go so, that like, often. Yeah. Yeah. But, like but even that, yeah. But even that, like, like that, it feels like a big deal. Like, it, it, like back totally. then, like for, for, you know, in, in the sixties and seventies, 
it was like you know you went once or twice a week like it was just sort of like oh i got 50 Definitely. cents yeah i'll go see a movie i'll go see it I, I got an afternoon to kill it's just like yeah that's just like what you did for for dates oh i mean yeah. you still do but like for dates with friends like you just went to go because you didn't have the options at home yeah um, no. and i feel like it was more affordable like i feel like movies are one of those things that become like exponentially more expensive not just with inflation and, and other like other um services and, and entertainment but like exponentially more expensive like college oh absolutely absolutely i, I don't know for sure about this but i i asked my dad that was like how come it went from 50 cents to 20 dollars you know like and, and and he said and uh i think just kind of riffing but he's like yeah actors sometime between like the 70s and 80s just started demanding way more money so it's like big budgets got bigger i, I don't know exactly how true I, I think that there's at least some truth to that because i know in the 80s movies got more glossy and, and more higher you know like production values started to, to really mm -hmm. go up more um so I, I don't know if that was exactly the, the transition but it, it does seem like it's like yeah you would think that they'd be like, okay you know after since the 70s maybe they, they'd go back 12 dollars just now it's like 20 bucks now it's crazy yeah yeah i know i Dude, I've barely been to any movie since COVID, and it's not like a scared COVID thing. It was they shut down for a while, like you couldn't, and then I just didn't really get back in. And and the costs are like prohibitive. Yeah. It's like I can rent the movie at home, I can have a drink, yeah. I can I can get up and go to the bathroom and pause it, and I can rent it for I can either get it for free on one of the many streaming services I I, I pay for. Or right. I could just rent it for like six bucks or something, almost always. Yeah. And yeah. then I'm at home and the comfort of my own house. And instead of like going like pre-COVID, I went and I saw it too in a theater, not one of the ones I really like. It just yeah. happened to be a, a different one. And there are a bunch of like teenagers who like kind of like ruined the movie. Yeah. Like I don't have to yeah. deal with that in my house. Right. Exactly. And so the most recent movie I saw, we talked about already, was a uh, um, uh, After Sun. Really cool theater. Like it was mm -hmm. a fun experience. But that's not something I'm going to do, you know, once a month. If you probably not even once every two, three months. Yeah. 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 For me now, it is, you know, it, it's interesting the attitude towards going to movies back in the 70s versus the attitude of going to movies today, where it seemed like it's like if, if you had an afternoon to kill and you were bored, it's like, okay, I'll go see this movie. It doesn't look very good, but I'm bored, so I'll go anyway. But now, for yeah. me, I don't know if it's the same for you, but it's like I'm, I usually only go to the movies if there's a movie that I want to see. Hundred like, oh, percent. Like I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for this. So yeah, um, you nailed that too. You nailed that too. There's so much less um, risk yeah, now yeah. with me going to a movie because if it sucks, you don't get your money back. Like you exactly. Don't get yeah. to, like you have to sit through it. If I start a movie, and rarely will I not finish a movie. Um, also because I write reviews for movies. So if it sucks, well, it gives me something to write about at least, yeah. you know, but like, if it's really that bad, I can like turn it off or something. And I didn't feel like I wasted my money because I'm not going to pay for even renting at home, something that I don't really want to see. That doesn't mean everything I want to see is good. Like a lot of times yeah. there are disappointments, but you're right. Like it's much more like, Oh, I know this is at least going to be good to fantastic. I'm not risking something that sucks to go spend you know 17 dollars on the ticket popcorn soda all that it's like 35 bucks 
to go yeah. see something that I'm like, well, that was a C minus. <laughs> like, and, and here's the other thing too that that that, that Tarantino kind of touches on. It like for him, you know, he, he he points out the names of specific theaters that he went to, and it seemed like each one was had like a different experience. Where it's like this is a grindhouse yes. theater, so you know it's gonna be rowdy. Yeah, this is like a, a more fancy theater, so you know this is gonna be like a high class picture. Um, and you know, there are drive-ins where nowadays like it's everything is so corporatized. It's like yeah, it's all yeah, the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like it. So even if you were going to a movie that you weren't really excited about, you'd at least be like, okay, but I'm going to the drive-in. Like, I'll get some popcorn. It was kind of like fun, yeah. So. It was like going to a baseball stadium or a football. Exactly. It was like, oh, I went to this theater. That is what I liked about the one I just went to in the city, mm. um, the one in the East Village. It's like, oh, this is like cool architecture. It's historic. It's right. um, it's not an AMC or whatever the others are. I can't even think of what's on my head. What what's yeah. AMC's competitor? Uh. I, forget, I feel like century is century 16 yeah. or something. I don't know. There used to be more when I, when I was growing, even like, but like, honestly, even growing up, we went to movies a lot more often. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember I went to see drumline twice and walked out <laughs> both times like, <laughs> because, because I was like, well, once I went with a girl and once I went with friends and both times we left and yeah. like, and that was just some, and it was like downtown and like the downtown area of my town. So it was like, Oh, you, this is more of a social thing. I, I don't yeah. know if kids do that as much anymore. Yeah. I think sometimes like to just get away from, you know, the, the wandering eyes of adults, but yeah. um, at least for other people, it's not nearly, I feel nearly as common. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I like that point too, that you made where it's, it's like he would, he would see the same movie several times in different, neighborhoods that had different audiences and he yeah. would say like how sometimes certain lines would go over well in all of them sometimes they wouldn't you would see different reactions a lot of times based on like race or, or, or economics or something like that um yeah, yeah. yeah I, I did think that was really interesting and uh, obviously his love of movies cannot be uh, overstated uh, yeah he reminds me the... so much of yeah. like a comic book guy from the simpsons where like he gets over the yeah. technical and but like like yeah. in, in a very endearing way Mm-hmm. Um, but they're like, you know, he, he'll get into, and I, I don't think I like about the book too, is that he doesn't chime on, you know, he doesn't really talk too much about like classic movies that much. Um, you know, like he, it's like, he's like, he's not talking about the Godfather or apocalypse. Now he's talking about like, usually like, like sort of like grindhouse movies or movies that were kind of popular at the, you know, for a bit, but they, they're not yeah. really as well known today. So I yeah. like that, that he's, he's, but like, it shows his attention to detail where it's like, Hey, there's this movie that people have forgotten about. But it's worth watching because of this one performance or because of this style that you don't see too much too much these days and it's worth checking out for that yeah Um, i mean he was he was i mean he does just list sometimes movies and actors and people in the business who i I mean i i know a lot more about movies than the average person i don't know who some of these people are and and, yeah um but i would say besides that he's very focused on this this time this area it does have a flow to it in the yep. sense of it, it's kind of like chronological right he starts in like the late 60s like 68 69 with yeah what's he start with i think it was bullet was the first bullet yeah bullet so he kind of starts like steve mcqueen and then yeah. goes through um really to the early 80s um yeah the fun house i think was the last yeah last but it's really a seven it's really about the 70s like it's yeah, about yeah. the 70s movies which i um I always loved 70s movies. Uh, I didn't realize how many greats came out of that until I went through all four of my booklet, uh, booklets, movie lists, 
Mm-hmm. I noted every 70s movie that I've watched in the last four years, because each each list is a year. Um, I go Memorial Day to Memorial Day. That's like my movie watching year. I don't know why. Oh. This is how I started it. Um, yeah. It's kind of like uh, like the financial year or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, that, so, you know, obviously everyone knows The Godfather, right? That's early 70s. But like Monty Python, The Holy Grail, I've probably seen more than any other movie. I've mm-hmm. literally probably seen it 30 times just growing up watching it clockwork orange oh yeah um uh taxi driver mm-hmm. annie hall yeah. Flow the cuckoo's nest which i i believe is the best movie ever made it's not my favorite but i it, i think it's the best movie ever made um that's true well, that's directed by milos foreman yeah and also the, the guy who played is it billy babbitt the the, the stuttering yeah. guy yeah he, he's plays the voice of chucky in the, the the child's play movies i thought that was i thought that was luke skywalker no, no, you're, you're thinking of Mark Hamill. Brad Dorif yeah. is the one who plays. Or, oh, I'm sorry. In, in the new one, in in, in the, the reboot of Chucky, they they, they yeah. brought on Mark Hamill. But, oh, but really? for for up until that, it was Brad Dorif who played the the, the stuttering really? guy. The originals yeah. weren't Mark Hamill. No, no. Oh, I didn't know Brad that. Brad Dorif. Yeah. Well, he's that's a great. I just think so. I don't want to go on Cuckoo's Nest. Um, you know, I, I don't want to just talk about that. But to me, like I watched it maybe two years ago, and I'd seen it. My mom always loved it. I remember watching it as a kid. I liked it, but you know, I was a kid, and then throughout the years, I'd seen it here and there. But then when I watched it as a, from like a critical eye, and mm. as a you know, 29, 30 year old, yeah, I was like, there's not a wasted shot or line or moment in this movie. It's a it's about uh power and um justice, but like in this microcosm of it, and how like you think you can fight back, but like in the end, you, you will lose. It, it's right depressing and uplifting at the same time because yeah. of the ending um it it's like this anti-hero which now has become such a common character but at the time i think was like very original um, yeah. i don't know i just loved it i remember just being like holy crap this is i think the best movie ever made i need to rewatch it so i, I really enjoyed it the first time i watched it but i i, yeah. I watched like eight years ago but like because i yeah. love milos foreman uh because he also directed amadeus which is one of my favorite movies of all time. yes uh, amazing movie Oh yeah, that's the eighties, so, right? Yeah, yeah, eighty four. So I, so I, I want to go back and rewatch One Flew with the, the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, but I, I remember just being really floored by like the perfect balance of of like wacky humor and like pathos. Like it's also like a very it's, it's hilarious, but it's also yes. really tragic though. So it's just, like it's you know, so tragic. It's so like I don't know. I love it. Um, yeah. My so favorite. What I say is my I say my favorite movie is Children of Men. I think the best movie is One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, no. Um, Exorcist, of course, I love. I'm a huge oh, yeah. exorcism bu- uh, buff. Oh, and yeah. that's, you know, that's the the godfather of exorcism movies. Yeah. Um, Tax, am I missing? Deer Hunter. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I said Clockwork Orange, which I love. I still uh, haven't seen that once, but I know that the, the director, Michael Cimino, I think his name was. Wait, what he's the one who seen? actually. Huh? What happened? Was that? Seen? Um, I've uh the Monty Python. I still haven't seen that oh. one. And I haven't seen Deer Hunter. Oh, you haven't? No, I've seen a bunch oh. of parts of it. Uh but Michael Cimino, the, the the guy who directed that one, he's kind of he's often blamed for kind for, for, for kind of ending the, the movie Brats generation of the eighties. And it wasn't oh, because really? of Deer Hunter. It, it was it was because of a movie that he did in like nineteen eighty or eighty one called Heaven's Gate. And so, like, he yeah. won. He won an Oscar. I've heard of for, What is that? Uh, it was this this huge, big budget 
um, period piece. And so this is right after yeah. he won an Oscar for for the Deer Hunter, which was a huge hit. So it was sort of like, yeah. oh, you know, like this guy, you know, he came out of nowhere and he made this huge movie and it was highly claimed. So it was sort of like, hey, let's just give him tons of money. Yeah, to do carte blanche. What happens all the time? Man. Oh yeah, and it was a huge flop, and it was a long ass movie, like three and a half, four hours long, and they I had think to cut I, it yeah. down. And okay, I'm thinking of something else though. Didn't who else had a big flop like that though? Was it Spielberg, where, where they start off really big, but they. But then they they followed it up with like a, a flop. Yeah, that was like the most expensive movie at the time since like Cleopatra or something, and it um, made it like literally it almost like bankrupted Columbia Pictures or like one of the big, the big yeah. ones. I'll, I'll look it up. I know. I actually I, just I, wrote an article about this for Slash Film, where where it, it really? was movies that 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 uh, caused the bankruptcy of, of studios. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so so that was kind of seen as as like he was kind of putting. I mean, it's not it's not really official, but it is sort of like yeah, that was the point when we thought like when when studios were were, were banking on all of these guys, and he and then like that was the first sort of like okay, we we got to rein you guys in a little bit. You guys yeah. got a little too carried away. Right, right. Um, I think yeah, I don't want to get too off track because I do want to talk about the book itself, and then we yeah, can yeah. Uh, diverge a, a little more. Um, so I'm just kind of looking at my notes here. So I actually have not seen Dirty Harry. It kind of surprised me. When I was reading this. I was like, oh, shit. So when I added a bunch of movies to my list that um, from this book that I hadn't seen, the the, yeah. the, uh, the only two I've gotten to before this episode are Rolling Thunder, which I loved. Mm. And uh, the movie he talks about really low budget was The Lords of Flatbush, which is a oh, Sylvester right. Stallone. Yeah. Um, really, I like, see I, that one. It was good. Uh, I, I finished it two nights ago. Um, very low budget, very stereotypical, like the Italian Americans in the leather jackets and deep Brooklyn with the accents. Yeah. Um, the you know the greaser getting the pro like the kind of Protestant conservative girl. Yeah. Um, so I think so. Sylvester Stallone is really good in it. There's one scene when you watch it. My favorite scene was he's in a jewelry shop and his, I mean, Jesus, they're like in high school, like literally still in high school and yeah. um, like getting married because he gets her pregnant or not, or whatever it is. I don't I actually don't think she is, but um, just like his mannerisms in that scene and how he's trying to stay tough and look cool in front of a jeweler or in front of his uh, girlfriend. But he also like knows he doesn't have the money to buy this ring. He's like yeah. kind of pissed off at everyone for putting him in that position. And it's a really just well done scene. And he's so young. I mean, this is pre Rocky. So, yeah. so like he's a nobody at this point. And, and Tarantino talks about in this book, like why this movie got, do you remember why this movie was popular? It was like, it was one of those things where it was like, because someone saw it who happened to, put it on like some bill right or like something like to like gotten to the like basically a movie this cheap shouldn't have gotten into as many theaters as it did yeah and, somehow and it, it like caught the break yeah yeah it caught the attention of someone at at, at a bigger studio so it ended so so even though it was produced by a small studio for very yeah. little money it ended up getting distributed by a larger studio and actually became kind of profitable 
Um, yeah, that was interesting because like uh, George Lucas kind of restarted like this. He's when he kind of started like the nostalgia for the fifties and early sixties with American graffiti. Yeah. So there was like this big sort of like, oh yeah, the greasers and hot rods and that sort of thing. They, they, right. There was kind of like resurgence of that in the eighties, in the seventies. Yeah, because um, shit was so it was so shitty, and yeah. people were like, oh, the fifties was so idealized. You know, yeah. I, I, what I always say is, I love American graffiti. I think it's a really good. I actually rewatched yeah, that's that. That's cool one. I actually rewatched it like last year. Um, mm -hmm. And what's funny is that it came out in 73. It takes place in 62. So yeah, it's not like yeah. that'd be like a movie coming out now for nostalgia in like 2011 or something. I know it'd be hard. <laughs> it's like I, if a movie, if, I, if I'm watching a movie and it says, oh, in 2012 or whatever, I'd be like, it, things look almost exactly the same. Yes. Why, why is it a period I piece? I know. But like, I really think there was a dramatic shift yeah. from 1962 to 1973. Yeah. The culture yeah. changed a ton. Where culture, I mean, I think, I mean, in, in, in 30 years, will people be comparing 2023 to 2012 and be like, look, at, they might have a point. Like yeah, maybe yeah. because we've lived it and we're in it right now. But honestly, 2012, pretty fucking awesome in my life. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know, may, maybe it was totally different. Like, you know that people are going to use 2016 was this huge moment. Twenty And then 2020 because of COVID. And I do think times were different. Yeah, yeah. Like, like there was this malaise during the late Obama, like the second Obama term. Things yeah. were kind of boring. Well, you had ISIS cutting people's heads off. But besides that, like yeah. it was relatively boring. We were kind of coming out of the financial crash. And like right. now it's just madness. I know. I know. Like social media was tamer um, while at the same time exposed, like being more open, but like people seemed more civil. Right. Like it wasn't right. as insane. So maybe it was a lot different, just not as aesthetically different. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's funny because like, you know, my parents, they grew up in the 60s and 70s. And mm -hmm. my my mom's, uh, you know, now that they're starting to hear about culture work stuff, she's like, I don't remember talking so much about race since like 1969 sort of thing. We're just like, this is so crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, like it seemed like when we were growing up, like, you know, when I was growing up in like the, in the nineties, it seemed like racism was largely confined to like a handful of small backwoods towns in the South or some shit. But it's like, Oh, okay. You know, I'm growing up in San Jose in California, whatever. Racism is a thing of a past, whatever. Yeah. And so, but yeah, it's just, it's just so funny where it's like shit. Like it wasn't even that long ago where we didn't talk that much about race and, and stuff. Which is, and... which is crazy because like, those were some of the most tumultuous times Yeah. Uh, for race. I mean, like Martin Luther King was, was assassinated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you had left-wing bombings all over the 60s and 70s in yeah. places like New York. Um, it was a real... And in the 90s, we have this idealized... Like, every generation, you kind of just look, like, 10 to 15 years back. So, yeah. like, our generation... You, you could tell, and even not that long ago, like, the mid-2010s, uh, there's, like, this 80s obsession. You had Stranger yeah. Things, and you had this... And then quickly, it was into the 90s, and it was, like, Friends again, um, and... Uh, just like this big 90s nostalgia. And I think like I have that because I wasn't alive in the 80s. I was born in 90. So yeah. like I, I and my cognizance wasn't really in the early 90s. So, like really it's the late 90s, like boy bands and Britney Spears and yeah. Pokemon. Yeah. And it was very Japanese heavy. Like that's oh, a huge yeah. part yeah. in our culture. And now the kids are like the Gen Z's into like 2000 shit. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. like this kind of looks like 15 years back. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's what happened with American graffiti because I mean he does say in here 50s but, like American graffiti is not the 50s it's the early I know 50s. it's like 62 right or 61 yeah, 62. Or 62. but I think you know it was still early enough in the 60s where it was like 
you know, like you know, like the, the the 50s were still kind of leaking in, but they hadn't quite, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. It was I still mean, hot I rods think, and greasers and shit. So yes, absolutely, and and it's not. I mean, different parts of the country, different cities, different places, like yeah, change at different paces. Um, yeah, and. I always think like Mad Men, like Mad Men's early 60s. And even then it's like the hippies are just kind of starting. It was really like the beats into the hippies. Yeah. Um, and because I remember like early in Mad Men, I think season one, he has a Don Draper who's, you know, the quintessential clean shaven, wearing suit, literally yeah. works on Madison Avenue guy. And he's like arguing with some guys, like not a hippie. He's kind of like pre-hippie, like beard right. and a little disheveled and a open shirt or whatever. And it's like, Oh, just wait seven years. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. Wait till what happens with this shit. Because Summer of Love was what, 67 or 68? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. 69. Oh, well, anyway. It's no, 69 was the, the Sharon Tate murders. That was like what killed oh, them. That's the end of, of that yeah, was the That was the end of it. Yeah. Literally, that was the end of it. I think 67 was the Summer of Love. Um, but anyway, yeah. Oh, again, the night and last in the 90s. Yeah. I, I listen to Pox talks about us all the time. Um, the 90s were a shit show. You had like white supremacist bombings. You had Ruby Ridge. You had uh, Timothy McVeigh. You had some of the first um, big Islamic bombings in, in Tanzania and Kenya. Like it was not this idealized place. And you actually had like what I would argue, like the left wing I associate more with the kind of the battle. Well, that was early 2000, like battle in Seattle, like anti-globalization yeah. left that actually stood right. for something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, but it was not this like peaceful time. It was just yeah. the cl- the economy was good until it wasn't. Ninety eight, there was a crash. Yeah, uh, there was the tech bubble burst. But it was it was this exciting time that like anything we glo- like the sixties were the most glorified ages ever, and it was horrendous for a lot of people. Right, right. Well, you, you, this is a good segue for like yeah. the, the transition of like the seventies because it, it's sure. funny like because like I, I've I've always been a fan of like the seventies sort of like the movie brats and I knew can you define it was that? interesting what, what? oh yeah yeah so, so the movie brats was an interesting generation so you know like the the the, the most famous like the, the big four would be Francis Ford Coppola George Lucas Steven Spielberg mm-hmm. and Martin Scorsese but there were a bunch of other directors and and you know directors that that. Tarantino talks about like um, Brian De Palma and Paul Schrader and, and, and yes. other guys. Yes. Um, but what's interesting about that generation is that it was the first big filmmaking generation where they actually went to film school because before that, mm-hmm. I, I don't know exactly when film schools became prevalent, but like before that, like during the golden age of Hollywood, film schools were not really, they didn't really exist. You know, it's like you, you either started off in theater and then you moved to Hollywood or you started off at, uh, you know, on a lower position and worked your way up to director. Um, but you know, so all those guys that I just listed, like these were all film nerds. Like these were guys who, like you know, they went to college and like and they they worshipped Howard Hawks and 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 George Cukor and 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 John Ford and, and and a lot of those those Hollywood. So it's like you had like these young idealistic mm-hmm. guys saying, "Hey, I want to do what those guys were doing in the '40s, and I want to do that in Hollywood today." Um, mm-hmm. Some other things were, were happening that made the '70s a very um, uh, vital uh, time for filmmaking. You had the relaxation of the film code. Um, so uh, the Hayes Code existed from like the late 30s or early 40s up until like the late 60s, and so by the late 60s, that's when you started to see like, the MPA, MPA. At the time, they were called the MPAA. Now it's just the MPA, um, mm-hmm. the Motion Picture Association of America. That's when you actually started seeing ratings. So you saw G, mm-hmm. PG, R, and X. Um, there was no PG-13 yet. No. Uh, until in 1984, I believe. Okay. Um, but, but but that was actually good for, for filmmakers because you know at the time. You know, it was kind of squirrely where it's like, you know, how, how many times can you say hell or ass or damn? Yeah. Can you show a tit? Can you show a butt? 
you know is that rule hold on is that rule about you get one fuck before it's rated r is that true i don't think so because there were a lot of pg movies that had at least one or two fucks really um yeah even in the 80s when they had pg-13 it was like okay like you i think the rule now is you can say three fucks before it becomes an r Uh, but they they can't be used sexually but then secret window with johnny depp broke that so it's it's such it's such funny rules i know a bunch of like poindexters are like like was that sexual sexual. (laughs) do do you know how how uh uh politicians came up with the definition for pornography it was no. it was in the, it was in like the late sixties because like I was like okay well you know you should be able to show some nudity in a in a in a major movie <laughs> yeah I think but but yeah, there 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 is like there should be a fine line so from what I understand a bunch of politicians in like the late sixties they got together and they were watching a, a lot of erotic films or just sort of you know <laughs> real movies that had that just had a lot of nudity and so somebody asked one of these politicians I, I don't know all the details but somebody asked them how do you tell the difference between you know art artful nudity versus like pornography. And this is where the phrase, uh, this is the origin of, of, of the phrase, I'll know it when I see it. Okay, so it so was just. I, I know what you're saying. It's, it actually wasn't politicians. It was it was judges. It was judges. Okay. Yes, yeah. it was it was the Supreme Court. And that was Justice. Oh, fuck. This is the, this is the Miller time. We actually talked about this a little in our first ever episode. Oh. I'm blanking on which justice it was, but you're, it was, it was one of the justices who I think is law no yeah and the funny story was like the law clerk the justice was old uh-huh. and i couldn't see well so he had to like narrate what was going on in the justices <laughs> here these, these like pornographic movies but yeah it was it was uh i'll know it when i see it and it was for obscenity yeah yeah it was for obscenity yeah i'll know it when i see it fuck i should know who that was i want to say justice harlan but i don't think that's right i'd have to check but we learned about that in first amendment class and it's always very funny to have <laughs> pictures of like some like yale law graduate like whispering in the supreme court justice's ear like how many pumps he's giving to, to, to like farrah fawcett or whoever i don't know if farrah fawcett ever did a sex scene but um no no but um but yeah no it's, seriously it's just it's you know yeah the rules you know they've always been very subjective and they're but um that's you can't say fucking a tvp you can't say fucking a pg movie but they have though and there are a few movies in the 70s where it's like hey i'm seeing some straight up tits in that like that's that's and and you're saying fuck and but wow. you know okay but um but i mean at the same time like that that's kind of what led to the, to the pg-13 though in the 80s but um right. but, yeah, but at the same time anyway but, like this was this was kind of good in a way for for filmmakers because at the time it was like um, if it shows nudity or if there's too much violence, it, it automatically gets an X. Even if it wasn't X, even if it wasn't straight up pornography, it was just like right. it's just too intense for mainstream audiences. So Jack Valenti, who was head of the MPAA, he was like, okay, like we'll do a rating system. So R, you can show you, you can you can swear a lot more, you can show more nudity, you can have more violence. Um, so so anyway, that actually helped um, uh, open up uh, what you you can get away with in mainstream movies. Mm. So in the late '60s and early '70s, um, you saw movies that dealt with more. Like you know, prostitution and drug addiction and mm-hmm. war. Um, so, uh, which was a good thing for filmmakers who were, because you know, some of these guys were like in the early twenties. They were film school graduates, and they just wanted to take risks and push the boundaries. Yeah, uh, the seventies. So it was definitely like culturally, it was a time of, um, I mean, like depression. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I mean, some actual depression, like economic depression, like the late seventies. And early seventies, I don't even remember. Um, well, New, New York, I know, was bankrupt in like the yeah, mid yeah. mid to late seventies, and it was a time of uh, 
of it was a very um cynical time yes and and it was tough like that all i think about the 70s is shit was tough it was like muscle cars and it was yeah. violent and it was political corruption you know yeah. these like political machines all over the country and i think from that grew like really cool art yes um absolutely i mean so so, so tarantino actually pointed something out and it's funny like, like what i was gonna say is like it, it kind of something that I, I kind of intrinsically knew, but he's the one who kind of really articulated this connection. Mm. The first half of the seventies was very cynical because you had Vietnam mm. war, you had Watergate, you had the energy crisis, you had right. all kinds of, there's so much turmoil. Yeah. Um, but the latter half of the seventies, even though there was still plenty of shit going wrong in the, the latter half of the seventies, but like, you know, that was, you know, in 75 Spielberg released Jaws. And that was like a big crowd pleasing movie. And then you had in 76, you had like the first blockbuster. Exactly. Yeah. And then in 76, you had Rocky, which, which Tarantino kind of points out as like this big, like, fuck yeah, like, yeah, America, America, you know, like just like this big, which like, he loves. You know, he loves Rocky. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, 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 he raves about it. And then in 77, you had Star Wars. Yeah. Um, so it just seems like, so it, I wonder if it was just sort of like this reactionary. It, it might not, it was, it might have been sort of um, like not intentional, just sort of like, you know, so, yeah. okay, like you know, we've we've maybe it was intentional, but the, it was just seemed like the first half of the seventies. You had like three days of the Condor. You had um, uh, all the presidents men. You had these very sort of like paranoid conspiracy. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> which he talks about, which is the first movie I'd seen that he he has a whole chapter on Deliverance. Um, yeah, your Chinatown. Yeah, he's, he mentions yeah. Chinatown. Yes. It's like literally that's the ending. It's what are you gonna do? It's Chinatown. You could you could. My interpretation of that is like you kind of plugged into what are you going to do? It's Brooklyn. What are you going to do? It's Detroit. Like it, it, it's Miami. It, it's kind of shrug your shoulders. That basically that shit happens here. Yes. And, you can't and, fight City Hall sort of thing. Yeah. The politician, like you can't fight the power. Uh, we tried in the 60s and we lost. Uh, the politicians are corrupt. The rich are corrupt. Yeah. Um, you know, the yeah, the elites are corrupt. They've less, they've left us to our like own devices to the worst. Um, like the worst common bottom common denominator yeah. um, uh, but those are awesome movies like they're right. really oh yeah deli- you have not seen deliverance right we talked about that no i i've, I've seen like the part with like the banjo uh that that's a great scene that's and, then, rules, and then of course the, the rape, the, the rape yeah. scene everyone knows the. i mean it's the raping like, yeah it's one of the most disturbing scenes um what i learned and like i guess i knew this but the two redneck rapist guys mm. are like actors and not mm. actual rednecks which like duh of course yeah, but they're yeah. so good that like it's it's you kind of forget that these are not this like appalachian hillbilly rapists right um that movie i mean also he does criticize the movie too at some points where it's like you know you know i don't want to give anything away because you haven't seen it but, eh, it's fine don't worry about it well they do so and he criticizes a couple things in the movie and again, he, it was a book. And I have a note here about how he talks about, I forget what he says. I'll look it up. But, you know, book versus movie and how this might be one of the few movies that's better than the book. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know if anyone agrees with that. I tend to find the books better. But sometimes the movies are better. I always say Jurassic yeah. Park is a great example of that. Um, yeah, yeah. But, like, basically, uh, um, Burt Reynolds is this, like, badass character. Yeah. He uh, Even though he's kind of somewhat cosplaying in a way i don't think he says but that's what quentin talks about in this but he's still to these atlanta businessmen he's you know the the man of the mountains um and they kind of take him out early 
he doesn't die, but yeah. he's he's sidelined early. And I remember I didn't check my review for this. I, I watched this thing two years ago. Um, I remember being like, why would they take out this character? You kind of got the Boba Fett treatment, which is yeah. you introduce this cool character and then you just kind of sideline him pretty early. He has a little longer than Boba Fett, but um, but then that's supposed to add tension because then you have these less experienced guys kind of fending for themselves. And anyway, um, everyone knows the rape scene. It's disturbing. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> when Quentin also says, I mean, obviously he's so great at articulating these um thoughts that i guess i have watching it but he's just better at, at articulating it is like the guy who gets raped kind of handles it better than everyone else <laughs> which is really weird to me i remember watching that i'm like he's taking this surprisingly well <laughs> like you could tell he's dead on the inside but yeah. like still he's taking it better than a lot than his comrades yeah, uh, yeah. i don't know i i i, I would rewatch deliverance also i feel bad because I had always thought deliverance took place in West Virginia. And that's just mm. such a stereotype because it's like not even close. It's like oh. down in Northern Georgia. Oh. <laughs> I just, I just always thought it was West Virginia. Cause I think people would just like associate it with West Virginia, which kind of sucks. West Virginia's yeah. like, what the hell? Like we didn't, we didn't do that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, Oh, this doesn't take place in West Virginia. What the fuck? <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, if that movie were made today, do you think anything like is, are there certain scenes that you think would not fly today, or do you think it would be like certain things would be watered down? And and and, and not not just talking about like the, the woke stuff per, per se, but I mean I mean just like are, are there certain things where it's like, yeah, men today probably shouldn't be talking you know, acting like that, like you know, like are there certain things about the movie um, that you think could be changed? I don't remember thinking that at the time. Hmm. Um, oh, I just want to read this line. Yeah. We don't watch the rape of Bobby. We bear witness, eyewitness. And it's like fucking true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, would anything be changed? I don't, I mean, I don't know if they do like homophobic slurs and stuff like that. Like I can't right. remember. Probably. Like, it's yeah, a bunch yeah. of guys on a river, kind of like on a, a, a river rafting tour of this. Um, river in northern georgia that's going to be flood i think that's the whole thing like it's going to be gone like they're getting right. rid of it yeah. uh, to develop stuff i, I don't remember yeah. and um so it's kind of like one last hurrah that burt Reynolds' character always loved and i think he takes these three atlanta businessmen with him um to go fishing and then that would be much of a story <laughs> yeah <laughs> one of them gets raped one of them almost yeah. gets raped um but uh yeah I, I deliverance is a good movie i i haven't read the book i'm, I'm looking El, have you seen logan's run no i have not but i know that stars jenny agutter i got her she's a british chick and that she was an american oh. she was an american world from london she was like my, my first big crush oh really yeah nice yeah um uh, fair well fair faucets in that and she was one of my first crushes oh um, yeah her and suzanne summers so I, I was looking through my this was years ago but um I, I was looking through my mom's yearbook from the 70s and she had like the big wavy farrah fawcett like really like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah she plays a small she plays a really small role in it you could tell it's just like we're gonna put this hot chick in this movie yeah. um so um this book uh inspired me to watch um uh two clint eastwood movies um, all right i watched escape from alcatraz 
and I started watching uh, Dirty Harry, which I haven't finished watching yet, but I'm loving it. Mm-hmm. Dude, yeah. I love old Clint Eastwood movies so much. He's so fucking cool. Like, he's like my yeah. hero when it comes to... And so um, there are two scenes, one scene from Dirty Harry and one scene from Escape from Alcatraz that mm-hmm. it would be so easy for a, like a woke person to be upset by. But like when you watch it, you're like, okay, no, that's not, it's not, it's it's basically sort of casual, friendly bigotry. And like, you when mean? you take it out, so, so in Escape from Alcatraz, um, so, so the movie takes place in the early 60s. It's actually based on a true story of, of, of the only guys who have ever escaped from Alcatraz. Mm. Um, uh, and, and so the, the, the main character is, is Clint Eastwood. And so he plays this guy named Frank Morris. And so he yeah. befriends uh, uh, a black inmate um, who works at a library, and his name is English, or at least his 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 nickname is English. So he so he befriends this 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 black guy, and so there's a scene where he's outside in the prison yard, I guess during recess or whatever you call it, outdoor time, and uh, uh, there are these big cement steps, and it's all the black inmates, and then as they go up, uh, his friend English is at the top. So Clint Eastwood starts walking up these steps, and then he's stopped by one of the black guys and goes, "Hey, where are you going?" And then, and then his mm-hmm. friend English at the top, he goes, no, no, it's fine. Let him in. So Clint Eastwood walks up and then, uh, uh, so he goes, so what's, what's with these steps? And then he goes, well, the higher up on the steps you are, the, the more power you have. And he goes, so you're, you're the one with the most power, right? And then the black guy says, yes. And Clint Eastwood goes, all right. So he starts walking down the steps and then English says, so there are only two reasons for why you didn't sit down next to me. Either you're afraid or you just hate negroes he doesn't he doesn't say negroes right i'm, I'm bleeding mm. that out and then so clint Eastwood just kind of smiles and he, he goes up and he sits down next to english and then he and then he just says i hate negroes <laughs> and, and, and and but like he smirks when he says it and it's just and it's like like you know like like a white guy casually tossing around the n-word in front of a black guy but also kind of but they're, it's like when you watch it's like, okay it's two guys and like they're giving me hard time they're giving each other a hard time about the race but it's also sort yeah. of like okay like you can take it you can dish it out like all right you yeah. can hang and so it's just like out of context, like oh, Clint Eastwood, oh, saying the N word in front of a black. Yeah. Oh, I but it's like no, no, it, these are two. Like that's how they're bonding in fucking prison in 1962. Yeah, it's just like, and then it's similar. It would not happen today. Exactly, that would not happen. Even though, like, they become friends and escape from prison, right? Like, right, yeah. right. It's still but, and, and so there's a similar scene. It's funny because it was actually directed by the same director, Don Siegel, and, and who now mm-hmm. I'm like obsessed with because like he's got such a cool, lean, masculine way of making movies, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, in Dirty Harry. Um, so so Dirty Harry, uh, he um uh, uh he, he's forced to work with a rookie as his new partner, and, and he's Mexican. And and, and he hates this guy. He, just, oh, he doesn't want to he, he doesn't want to bring oh, on any <laughs> he's probably he's probably sleeping in the cruiser the whole time. <laughs> So so he's just like well you know I, I I already have a partner and but like you know but he's in the hospital because that's what that's where all of my partners end up called <laughs> here but like but he's like no don't don't force if you're gonna make me work with a partner don't don't make him a rookie like sorry you know you got to work with this guy so he's showing him the ropes around the, the police station and so the 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 the, the police uh, the, the Mexican guy he he asks Harry he goes hey so why do they call you Dirty Harry and then another police officer comes in he goes oh because he hates and he, he lists, just lists off all the racial epithets, yeah. right? All of them. He's like, he, cause he hates all of them. And then, and then the, the rookie goes, uh, well, what about Mexicans? And then we, and then the police officer says, well, you should ask Harry. And then Harry goes, I hate Spicks the most, but he, but he says that, but he turns to his friend <laughs> and, he, and he winks at him. And it's like, okay, he's just doing it. He's like, I'm just saying that just to, to get a rise out of my rope. Yeah. Like, I'm just testing him. 
And it's like, I'm sure if that were to come out today, people would be upset. Oh, he hates Mexicans. But it's like, no, he's doing it to give his, his rookie a hard time. Like, if I he think, can handle that, it's like. Yeah, I've seen that. I see this with my parents and like that generation. Hmm. Um, just older generations in general. I feel like race, and I, I don't think race is the right word hmm. because if you like look at um, uh, Gran Torino, like hmm. yeah. he rips on white people too. It's just all different types of white, like. What's yeah. happened is like the boxes have gotten bigger in yeah. terms of like, oh, it's white people and black people and Latinos. It's like, no, but all these people used to talk shit about each other. It was like white people, yeah. there'd be different, like, like the Irish would rip, rip on the Polish and the Polish on the Italian and the Italian yeah. on the yeah. Jews and the Jews on the German, like everyone. Um, yeah. And like Mexicans rip on the Nicaraguans and they rip on the Hondurans and, and et cetera. And yeah. I feel like race was just um, as it's weird because it's become way more identitarian now because it's yeah. like negative and always the oppressor and um, injustice and all that stuff. Where back then it was just like kind of a way of, of bonding and connecting and um, uh, associating, which was very different. And like everyone was, it, it was, I see it with, with the older generations, like, Oh, this person's Italian. Oh, the, the, he's Irish. Oh, what rate? Like now it's just like, Oh, they're white. Or yeah. now they're black or whatever. And yeah. I feel like that uh, used to just be a way that people communicated. Yeah. Like there's, yeah. a, there's a focus because it, it's, I don't know, it's ironic because there's such more of a focus now on race, but it's a yeah. different type of focus. Yeah. 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 No, that's interesting where the, 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 the painting with, with, with broad strokes sort of thing, yeah. right? because like, you're, you're like, it's funny because like, I, I, it, while I was reading the Tarantino book, Concurrently, uh, I was reading another book that's kind of similar. It, it, it's it's called My Lunches with Orson, and it was it's like yeah. this guy who was friends with Orson Welles during mm -hmm. the last few years of his life, and so he yeah. they recorded their their lunchtime conversations. So it's interesting, like reading these like you know like Tarantino's perspective on film, and then and then Orson Welles's perspective on mm -hmm. film. Um, but uh, uh, it's interesting because the book didn't even come out that long ago, probably like ten years ago, mm -hmm. and in the foreword of the book. It was talking about how Orson Welles was was very raw in these conversations. Like it's like, oh, there were times when he was racist, when he was sexist, and like, but the only times when he's when he's racist is he's he's racist toward like he'll, he'll make generalizations about Irish and Italians and Germans, right. and like that was considered racist ten years ago to make jokes about Irish people. It's like nowadays it's sort of like it's so you know so commonplace to just just treat them all all white people are bad and and not only and, yeah. and like that's totally fine, but it's just, it's just yeah it's it's just broad where it's like oh yeah if you make a joke about you know you know germans oh that's you shouldn't do that it's bad <laughs> yeah i i just think it was people associate and i i think it's just because of the the discourse has been so much more like um but i mean it's like coalition building and it doesn't yeah, always yeah. work but there was this coalition that i think has failed but it was basically the intersectional coalition was like everyone but the straight white man yeah. we're on the same side which is dumb and yeah. like anti-factual but right, right. It, it was this attempt and if you're gonna push all the white people together don't be surprised when they like team up like don't be surprised know, when, like, like the irish and the germans and the italians and we're like when we were all against each other for stuff and then he pushed all together it's like all right i mean you kind of built this megazord of white of white people like don't be surprised yeah. when, we're, when we team up like so yeah john cleese uh uh yeah. who i love uh yeah. he was on bill maher yeah that's right yeah he's, he's part of that crew yeah he um 
he was on Bill Maher a while back, and, and he was railing against political correctness. Yeah. Um, uh, even though he's a pretty left wing guy himself, but sure, like, he, sure. he, but he was talking about like, yeah, in England, it's like you know, we, we make jokes about the Swedes and the Irish and the Italians and the Germans, but he goes, but in America, if you make jokes about, you know, and we all laugh about it, like everybody's in on the joke, but if you make jokes about Mexicans, there's like, Ooh, like the Mexicans are sensitive. Don't make fun of them. It's like, that's so odd to me. Like, um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's so weird that, you know, well, I know uh, over there, like their census is they have a separate category for like white British mm. and Irish and mm. then like other types of white, like I know, like Polish is bit like they're. I lived in a, a, a very Polish neighborhood, yeah. and I lived in London. Mm. Um, I think people don't realize like Catholicism is the largest growing religion in England <laughs> because yeah, of the, yeah. like the Polish is not Islam or Hindu or anything. It's like Catholicism. Right, right. Um, it's pretty funny. Yeah, uh, you know, we'll we'll get you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll, out, we'll outbreed you. Um, <laughs> 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 but uh, uh yeah i don't know it's uh, yes john cleese has said some i think some cringe things but uh, on this stuff he's uh, i agree but he's like old school uh, tons of people from his camp though who were children of the 60s and 70s who were this yeah. anti-establishment you know that was part of it was yeah, yeah. Ripped, like because they were the free speech people and yeah. it was the stuffy conservative like like parted haired spect bespectacled uh conservative british guy who was the man and now it's totally reversed and, and yeah and they kept people like bill maher is a good example of an american version of that like yeah, he used yeah. to rail against the religious right which like yeah. doesn't really exist anymore kind of um they have more power than than i think some people give him credit for but it's not like they were in the nine in the 80s and 90s right and even right. the 2000s bill maher rip against the concern and then and like he was very anti-trump but he's I, I feel like most of what i see bill maher talk about now i used to watch the show regularly by the way yeah in yeah. law school but most i think of what he talks about now is like anti-progressive stuff and nothing yeah. they are and it's funny because his, his his politics haven't even changed. He's still a very left wing guy, but he's also yeah, sort of. It's a lot so of. Us. <laughs> I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's not crazy. Just, yeah, not just not just like PC stuff, but also like COVID stuff. Where he's like, yeah. when did the pharmaceutical companies become our heroes? When exactly? Did, yeah. like, like telling people what to do and forcing people, my body, my choice. Like, when did that become the liberal side? And yeah, exactly. Because he, he railed against big pharma and sort of like it's like you know, big pharma still. Like they're, they're still the bad guys here. Like, you know, yeah. he started, well, start with him. When I first started noticing Bill Maher being more attractive to my views were when he was like, and like he was blowing, not blowing the whistle, but be, being very, being on the left, but very anti uh, like crazy Muslim shit. Yeah. Like yeah. whether it was cartoons or cutting Charlie people's heads though. off, which you would think that that would be, you know, a, a pretty easy one to pick. But side yeah. to be on, but that kind of stuff where he would argue with like like Ben Affleck and right. and people Sam like Harris, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, no, Sam Harris was Sam Harris was on Bill Maher's side. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm talking about that, that specific. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. It was. You're right. It was Sam Harris and Ben Affleck, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was the kind of that. Um, who was his name? Um, uh, Hitchens. Hitchens yeah. was like one of those guys. The New Atheist group. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that had a lot of impact. I feel like on our cult on our generation with the new atheists some of them i like hitchens darwin yeah. i not darwin um dawkins, dawkins yeah. like apparently dawkins is like not even liked amongst a lot of those like that like the intellectual atheist group like he's kind of a douche but oh. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you like dawkins but that, that's what i've heard mm. um 
Yeah, so 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 what else about the the Tarantino book? Are, are there any specific passages that you? Well, I did. Have, yeah, I have some. I loved uh, just a one-liner. You know, you know, I'm a, I'm a slut for a one-liner. Oh, Let yeah. me pull it up. I actually wrote a whole article based on one line from what this line? book. Yeah. Um, the same I, line. Actually, I have I have a mark here. Is it the harshest censorship is self censorship? No, no. Okay. It was uh, admittedly when you don't give a fuck about other people's feelings, it probably does wonders for your caustic wit. And so that, that, that I don't know if you saw it, but it was an article that I wrote said um, that, that was called um, "Stop Giving a Fuck About Your Audience." Um, and, and so I, I actually, did actually that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that I love that because like you, you know when, when Tarantino when he did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and he mm -hmm. had the uh, the portrayal of, of Bruce Lee, which is controversial. Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah, yeah. And so when he went on Joe Rogan and and so they brought that that up, yeah, it, it was dumb. And and so uh, he, that topic came up, and so. Joe Rogan asked him, hey, so, so so how do you respond to people who are offended by your portrayal of, of Bruce Lee? And then Tarantino says, they can go suck a dick. But I love that swagger, just sort of like, I made the movie I wanted to make. If you don't yeah. like it, too fucking bad. So I don't get me wrong. I love that too. I, I don't, yeah. first of all, Bruce Lee was extremely arrogant. He was an amazing. I have entered the oh, dragon yeah. on my on my list here. He was an incredible person, oh, yeah, like yeah. a huge cultural icon. Yeah. But anyone who knew him will tell you he was extremely arrogant. Yes. So his portrayal, it was not like an inaccurate portrayal. I don't know if I think was the issue. Well, I think one issue that he was portrays ex being extremely arrogant, which I think was yeah. true. I think the other sure. was, well, could someone like Brad Pitt's character beat him up? Yeah, could a stuntman beat him? Yeah, and and I think in that same Rogan interview, Tarantino's like that. Like Brad Pitt wasn't just a stuntman; he was like a he was like a vet, right? He's a he veteran, was like a yeah. fighter. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think the know, argument that he made was movie. that like, that was that Bruce Lee mostly fought in movies where, where where it was in a controlled environment, whereas you know Brad Pitt's character had experience actually killing people, like a street fighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> okay. So no, but I was gonna say is that um, like again, amazing response. I yeah. love Quentin, but yeah. do you think he would say that if this was his first or second movie and not his ninth? I actually think he he probably still would say that you think was so? his first movie. Yep. Yeah, so so um, again, when he was on <laughs> when he was when he he was uh, on Joe Rogan and he was talking about his, kind of his, his experience and he was talking about how. Um, when Reservoir Dogs came out, and and you know it, it was doing really well on the festival circuit, but everybody got a lot of people walked out during the scene where the guys getting drenched in, in gasoline and gets the ear cut off. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, Harvey Weinstein, uh, I mean, you know, who's that? Uh, uh, you know, the raping. Oh no, like Harvey. No, no, and and you know, like I, I'm obviously not going to like you know uh, play down you know the terrible things that he did, but you know he did. Yeah, he was he was a big force in the '90s. He did help a lot of independent filmmakers make it big in the '90s. Yeah. He was you know, he helped Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez and a lot of other guys. Mm -hmm. um, but so so Harvey Weinstein, uh, when when he he approached Tarantino about about uh, distributing Reservoir Dogs, he goes, "Hey, I love this movie. I think this this will play really well." Um, but you got to cut that scene out where he's getting tortured. Mm -hmm. And Tarantino said, "No, uh, I'm really? not, I'm not. Yeah." And, and so so he, he and, and again, I don't want to 
praise Weinstein, but like it's kind of an interesting move that he did with Tarantino. You can praise, so, you can praise his business acumen. Yeah, like, yeah, his, his, his business acumen. He, yeah. Even that's still kind of manipulated, but it, it is it is an interesting power move. Or his willingness to, because Weinstein was powerful then. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't like Weinstein, like, and Tarantino basically, like, he just said no, knowing yeah. that, like, this was a big ticket. Right. Well, here's here's what That's Weinstein mental. did, and it's it's an interesting power move to make in this in this position. So when he kept pressuring Tarantino to cut that scene out of the movie, Tarantino kept saying no, and so he said Weinstein paused for a moment, and then he's like, "Okay, leave that scene in the movie, and going forward, I will be seen as the one who let you keep that scene in the movie." And I was like, "Oh, interesting! Like you kind of like the way you kind of switched it around to make it seem like, oh, it was your idea. Oh, Weinstein, you're the I one. I let who... you keep it. It is very manipulative. Yeah, that's yeah. How he, so, that's how he <laughs> ate so much box of like famous yeah. women. But, but yeah, you know, it, it, it seems that from the very beginning, Tarantino was always like, I need, you know, like even though this is my first movie, and somebody's telling me I need to cut it in order to make a big deal, it's like." No, I'm not going to do it. Um, so it, it seems like he kind of had that attitude from the very beginning. Yeah, you're right. That's very commendable. That's very cool. Um, yeah. And yeah, he, he I like how he mentions in res he mentions res Reservoir Dogs in the book that like mm -hmm. it doesn't mean anything. Like, yeah, yeah. like people were trying to drive meaning from it. It's like no, it just sounds cool. And that's very yeah, yeah. Quentin Tarantino. Like it just yeah. sounds cool. <laughs> I he love was referencing another movie that had kind yes. of like a, a vaguish name. Yeah, I what it what? Was. did I make a note of that? I did. Hold on, I did make a note of that. It was towards the end, I think. It was like it was, one of the like, was, last two or three yeah, chapters. It was, I think. it was one of the last pages. Oh no, you're right. It's one of the last two or three chapters. Let me see. It's page two ninety. One of the first scripts I ever tried writing was a straight-up rip-off of Stallone's epic titled Brooklyn BR. Yeah, Brooklyn BR. Don't ask what BR stood for. Like Reservoir Dogs, it didn't mean anything. It just sounded good. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is that he said the exact same thing with uh, the, the, uh, the title for Inglorious Bastards. Because, you know, Bastards is misspelled. And somebody asked him in an interview, hey, so, so why is it misspelled? And he goes, don't ask me to explain it. It's just one of these random creative flourishes. That it just sucks the piss out of I, it if you explain it. So just I thought it. it was, but I thought it was misspelled because because like Tarantino, I thought kind of famously is like uneducated in terms of like formal mm. education, right? And yeah. I think I thought he spelt it wrong at the top of his script and kept uh, it. Maybe maybe the excuse that he because I, I remember definitely seeing that interview. It could be like an after okay. the fact sort of thing where it's like, okay. oh, somebody pointed Add out some to more you. to it. Yeah, like oh, uh, it was intentional. Okay. Well, I like artsy flourish. I, I like mine. I like yeah. what I what I just said because it sounded like I I thought I don't know why. Maybe it's there are a lot of deep fakes on the internet, but I thought there's like a picture of the handwritten Inglorious Bastards, you know, script or whatever. Right. And it was spelled E R D S. Right. Like that's right, how right. it's spelled wrong. Um, yeah. Maybe okay. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Yeah. I'd like to proliferate that that story. Yeah. I'm gonna keep that going. Did you ever yeah. just like make up rumors when you were younger? Yeah, I like still at your know. school. Yeah. Like, I remember there's this rumor that went around my school that uh, one of my friends made up that just Warren Sapp is gay, and it just like got around the whole, it's like got around the whole school. <laughs> I guess that people's lives get ruined that way, but it was very funny. Did you ever read Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail by Henry Thompson? No, I, I I think I'm going to though. It's 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 amazing to read and it, 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 it's frighteningly relevant to 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 mm. you know, current like uh, uh political campaigns um 
I can't remember the specific rumor, but it was it was pretty crazy. But like it, it, so it was in 72. So this is Nixon's reelection campaign. And um, mm-hmm. I think it was from the Nixon campaign. Somebody in his cabinet was going to start a rumor about George McGovern. Some crazy like 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 George McGovern, who was who was the, who was the Democratic nominee, mm-hmm. like like some crazy rumor like like he fucks you know farm animals or some shit or so, some crazy thing, and so and so it, it was not Nixon, but it was somebody in his cabinet who was trying to start that rumor, and so somebody said you know, um, like I'm not saying that he did it. I just want to force him to deny it, and this is like it was it was like a sneaky political move to be like like I want to see our opponent use a it's, valuable airtime saying no, I don't sleep with animals. No, yeah, I did not. That's play. that's very uh, lawyerly of him. Like that's like <laughs> on, on like a cross examination, yeah, you yeah. can get away with doing that stuff. Right. Um, right. I mean, it, it's a lot of times it's objected to, but there is wiggle room. You have pretty. Uh, like wide breath to ask questions. And I don't know if you remember, have you seen social network? Yeah. Yeah. Remember at the end, Rashida Jones's character is like talking to Mark Zuckerberg, like kind of like why you're such an asshole and Mm -hmm. how she, uh, she says she's like an expert in voir dire, which if you don't know voir dire is it's jury selection. Okay. And it's like why he would make a terrible witness. And she says something and he's like, well, that's not true. And she's like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm the one asking the questions. Mm. So like, just asking the question can be enough. And I, that's like the same tactic. It's like just getting, it's very, it's very smart. Also, yeah. Nixon was a fucking idiot because he won that election by, it's, a, it's the biggest blow in slide. history. Like, like there's one state that he lost. I think I Massachusetts think. And, and DC, which yeah, yeah. are like, okay, th- those are gimmies for, for blue. Yeah. But and he like that's what Watergate was. Yeah, like yeah. spying. It's like, did they not have polling that was going to show he was going to win <laughs> by an insane amount? Yeah, yeah. Like I don't know. And and someone brought this up recently with how, like, the backlash of the '60s mm. had really lasted until I would say 2008. Mm. Think about it. You had like you had the '60s, and then you have Nixon, mm. and then you have um ford who yeah. takes over for nixon jimmy carter democrat wins but he's like a hokey kind of like populist guy who doesn't become a populist at all yeah, and he's, yeah. but he's not like a i wouldn't say he's like a liberal or like right. progress like like mcgovern was right, um right. and then you had reagan for two terms mm-hmm. then you had hw bush yeah. and you had clinton who's like the new democrats like neo-lib you had yeah. two george bushes and then obama's like the first kind of like anything resembling a 60s liberal. right yeah so it's like the back huh. i think that's what we're going to be going through dude i, I think it's going to be a conservative backlash for like several cycles oh man I, I i think we're more polarized now so it's not like a republican is never going to win vermont again you right. know or cal or even california yeah, but no. and and i think there's going to be this cultural backlash like for, i think people are are sick of it yeah, and it's yeah. nuts, and I and I don't know if it'll be as pronounced, but um, I, I do see culture just just bifurcating, and the the left has had such a hold on art and culture for so long that I think people are now like little by little they're chipping away, the conservatives are chipping away at it, and I don't say this as a good thing either. I know, like, yeah. I do think there needs to be more balance and more options, and as yeah. long as like everyone gets a voice. Yes. And, and and the and the market like you can decide what you want right um that like if you just did that you would avoid the backlash it's when yeah. it's like in your face and um 
and uh, like you feel like you're 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 helpless and your culture is being taken away from you and you're evil for liking what you've always liked. You're doing what you've always done. Yeah, um, I, I do think we're headed in that direction. I, I don't know. No, I, you might be right. And so it's so funny. And I'm, I'm sure, you, you know, you, you've experienced this to some extent as well. But it's like, the, you know, on social media, whenever I criticize, you know, some some crazy woke thing on, on online and then somebody will, will accuse me of being right wing. It's like I'm not like I lean right on a few things, but I'm not I'm not a conservative. And if anything, like the reason why I'm so critical of, of the woke left is because, like, I don't want to embolden the crazy right. And so it's sort yeah. of like it's like, you know, I, if. if I, I, I'm definitely seeing, you know, some 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 uh, government overreach from the Republican side. Sure. And it's like, yeah, do you, do you maybe it seems good. Maybe it seems good to you right now because you agree with it. But, you know, like, do you really think that it's going to be like, you know, in, in the next few election cycles, that it's going to be rational moderates who are going to be uh, 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 taking power? So, no, it's probably going to be extremists. And you're probably going to be like, oh, shit, like I, I was on the conservative yeah. side, but now they're going too far. I was always in favor of freedom, but now they're starting to take away my freedom. It's like, yeah, well, that's that's what happens. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy, man. I, I didn't mean to. Yeah, I didn't mean to get it. But yes, the yeah. the I do want to read that book. Um, I know Hunter S. Thompson was very critical of Nixon, but you know they like he they actually like talked football a lot, which I thought was cool. Like they both loved football. Yeah, because there there were only like one or two times that they actually met, and so like I think when he met Nixon, it was like you know I'm not going to talk politics, but I'll talk football with you, and so like they actually had a long conversation like in a limo, yeah, to to, to the airport. And Nixon's a, from California, right? I think so, but he was like, I think he was considered a Texan for like electoral. I guess he moved to Texas, but like he was born in California, mm. which is kind of funny to think about. I mean, so was Reagan. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was governor, and and also in Santa Barbara, it's it's a pretty right wing place. Like, um, is it Turning Point USA? Oh, like one yeah. of, one of those, those those more conservative like they 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 have like their headquarters there or some shit. I know. Yeah, Orange County was always very Republican. Right there. Oh. I think it's gotten a little blue. I think it went blue a couple elections, but I think I think it's gonna go back red. Yeah, yeah. There's always been a kind of a strong military presence in, in SoCal. It was. I, I remember a few years ago. There were a handful of prominent right-wing people uh, uh, rising t- uh, uh, in popularity in in SoCal, and somebody even mm. tweeted out, "They're like, oh, like Los Angeles is secretly becoming uh, uh, very friendly to conservatives." It's like, <laughs> no, that's no. not happening. Sorry, no <laughs> way, man. And no I'm not even saying again, I'm not even saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying like, it's like, yeah. nah, nah, it, it's no. way too fucking It'll, blue. It's like it's neon blue here. It's <laughs> it's well, it's all relative, and that's the thing is like. Republicans don't have to do that well in city. They have to just do okay. Yeah. Like New York has gotten a lot redder, mm, yeah. um, both state and city. Like I saw a map for, of New York City, like 2013 versus 2022 or something. Yeah, And it's like crazy how much more red there is, especially mm. outer boroughs. It's really like Manhattan. There's like barely any red, maybe a little in like Chinatown um, and a little up in like, uh upper east side always had like a republican enclave but manhattan's just kind of a blue island but the outer boroughs there's like lots of red in queens and brooklyn staten island went for trump twice like is red actually red oh oh, yeah staten island uh has always been red it's like the most suburban of the boroughs and then the because you have a lot of latinos and asians and indians and uh like the italian and irish and polish and russian neighborhoods are like especially the orthodox are, are are very um republican now uh and it's kind of crazy to see that like and all of long island now is red 
um, uh, after the last election. And it was really New York, which kind of like let the Republicans win back the House. Mm. Like they flipped several seats, yeah, like suburban seats. And um, like the, the the Santos guy who's nuts is like the most amazing story ever. You've heard <laughs> of him, right? Yeah, yeah. The guy's like lied about everything. He's a district that's like part Queens and part Long Island. It's mm. not like he's some deep red upstate district. He's like very moderate independent district that yeah. is scared of New York City. <laughs> um, but anyway, I don't, I don't know how I got on this. But yeah, so anyway, yeah, LA, LA just has to go like a little red, a little yeah. more. Like right. if it goes like 25%, Republicans can do well if they win everything else. Yeah. Anywho, all right. Movies. Yeah. More. Oh, there's one thing I want to talk about here, um, which I think it, it was kind of um, formative in, in Tarantino. You know, because Tarantino, he's attracted a lot of criticism throughout his career for his violence, for the violence in, in his movies. Mm-hmm. And so th- this is kind of interesting here. Um, so this is when, when he was a kid. And for the most part, his mom gave him kind of carte blanche. Like, oh, I'll take you to R-rated movies. I'll see let you see all kinds mm-hmm. of uh, 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 violent movies. Um, but there were like one or two movies that she did that his mom did not let him see. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what, what movie it is, but here, here's the quote that his mom told him. Well, Quentin, it's very violent. Not that I necessarily have a problem with that, but you wouldn't understand what the story was about. So since you wouldn't understand the context in which the violence was taking place, you would just be watching violence for violence sake. And that's what I don't want you to do. Mm. I was like, that's interesting because like Tarantino. You don't know what movie that was she was talking about? Uh, let me see real quick. Uh, So I asked her, uh, what movie was it? Was it Dirty Harry? No, it was a black exploitation film called Melinda. Okay. Yeah, because he didn't see it until years later. So it was a black exploitation flick, and I guess there's some like sexual violence or something. But anyway, but like I thought that was fascinating. Like I wonder if that had kind of an impact on Tarantino, where it's like, because you know, um, all the you know as extreme as the violence is in his movies, mm-hmm. it's always still kind of like, like for him, it's like you know, like say like the Kill Bill movies, for example, where it's like yeah, but like have you seen like you know kung fu movies in the sixties and seventies? Like they were very bloody, they were over the top, or they had like a hose, just blood shooting out. Yeah, and like that's what I'm mimicking. Or it's like, oh, like yeah. in Pulp Fiction, you know, that, that, that was pretty violent for its time. It's like, yeah, but this is the world of like pimps and drug dealers and assassins. Yeah, like, mob stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it's like, what the fuck do you expect? Um, or like, you know, in in uh, Django Unchained, it's like, you know, I'm trying to show how terrible slavery was. I'm trying to show how bad it yeah. was. Yeah, it wasn't pretty. Exactly. Yeah. So so it's it's interesting where it's like, you know, as as over the top as his violence is, there's always some kind of creative justification for it. So I wonder, like, you know, and the mm. fact that, that he brought up that quote from his mom or something, no, you, 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 like, it's not just the violence I'm objecting to, it's the context. You just would not understand. But so that's why I'm not going to let you as a 10 year old watch this movie, this R rated movie. So, so I, I'm wondering if, if that kind of informed his thing. It was like, okay, you can be over the top, but you have to make sure that you know what the context is. of the violence. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see that. I, I could see that thread there. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think, cause I think you would also say it's, it, it, it is very fun. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah I said that. Oh yeah. Like, like it is very fun, but yeah, I've, I, I've said before on this show, uh, I think there is this interesting um, view of violence in our culture compared mm-hmm. to things like sexuality. Yeah, like I always bring up the example of 
uh, my dad scrambling the parts of Starship Troopers where you see boobs. Oh yeah. Um, there's like a couple shower scenes and a scene where Johnny Rico is having sex with Diz. Yeah. And like those got scrambled, but it's fine to watch the guy get the brain sucked out of his head and right. guys getting cut in half and their limbs burned off and yeah, um, like all this crazy shit. And, and I was like eight years old, nine years old watching that. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, I can't see a pair a pair of uh, of of milkers. Yeah. on, on yeah, screen yeah. right um, well i wonder if it's just like you know when you watch the news like it's okay to see like the results of like a, a blown up building or, or or see like war footage or something like that but it's so, so so i wonder if it's just sort of like this weird thing where it's like from a young age we're used to we're more used to seeing mm. violence I, I, i'm not saying whether, you know, whether it's good or bad i'm just i'm just wondering and, and also just like with war movies for like the longest time war movies in america at least they were always seen as like oh look how patriotic our men are um, but it wasn't until like the seventies where yeah. it was like, oh, uh, war is actually kind of bad. I mean, I was gonna say that like our country's built on violence. I don't yeah. mean that in like an anti-American way. Right. Like we start as a revolution. Yeah. And yeah. we have the Wild West and Civil War. And yeah. But then again, like what country wasn't? Yeah. Yeah. Like everywhere was in yeah. one way or another. Like Japan and China, these were land like conquests, the Mongols. All of the European wars and empires in the Middle East, Africa, they were enslaving each other yeah. and changing religions and, and going to war. Like not and and the Aztecs and Incas were constantly at war and yeah. the Aztecs were chopping people's heads off and rolling them down the pyramid. Like yeah, yeah. even even the the this kind of bucolic uh view we have of um Native Americans like North America, like no, these were like the Comanches were vicious people yeah horrific did, did horrific things that mirrored the middle ages if not worse in some cases at least there you had christianity which like like stopped some things like a handful of things were too much yeah even yeah. though there was all the torture and all of that i'm not like giving them a pass at all sure, sure. but there was like a handful of especially maybe when it came to like women except for witches but like when it came to women like the comanches were brutal they terrorized the apaches and other groups you had the iroquois nation and people up in the, the northeastern part of the country the only reason it wasn't as vicious there is because they didn't have horses right um I don't know. So I I, I kind of want to give us the excuse well we're built on violence, but everywhere was. Like yeah, every yeah. everywhere's built on violence. But um I, I don't know. Uh, I, I I think I also think part of it, Tarantino kind of got like the Eminem treatment where it's like he's super popular, so people are gonna gonna criticize him. Like like Eminem was rapping about the same stuff every other rapper was rapping about. Yeah, yeah. Sex, drugs, guns, like the same like yeah, he took some some different level. Kim, the song Kim was kind of a different level, mm -hmm. but um I don't know if you remember that song. He's it's a song about killing his, his wife, um, oh. but uh, and his daughters there. But yeah. it was um, I, I don't know. I think he set a target on him. Yeah, no, no pun intended. No, you know. But yeah. uh, well, you know, it, it's funny because like you know, <clears throat> I know that that he, he's gotten criticized for the use of the n word that shows up a lot in his movies, and 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 he says the n word himself in Pulp Fiction. He, he does, yeah. But you know what's funny though? It's like married to a black woman in the movie. I know, yeah, yeah. But you know what's funny is, is, is sort of like you know people will, will will make a big deal about you know uh, the the use of the n word, but it's but the, like they'll 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 kind of give him a pass for like people getting you know blown up and shit. It's just sort of like really like a handful. It's, <laughs> yeah. And also like like in Pulp Fiction, where it's like every character is a sleazy piece of shit underworld criminal. It's like. Yeah, like I will use clean language. I will you know? say it's a. I am. I am going to say it's a rough scene to watch in yeah. Pulp Fiction. Yeah, 
yeah. with, with, with the N. It's not, I, I don't think we should though. Like, like violence is its own category. So I, I think if you want to compare violence right. and sex and language, like it so, is not always an equal thing. It's like, Oh, this, in this movie, this guy got his head blown off. Like, so they consider the N word. Well, I don't know. In Pulp Fiction, it does come off as gratuitous. I would, I would actually think he wouldn't. I think if he made Pulp Fiction today, he actually wouldn't have that scene. I think he would have every other scene. I don't think. I'm not saying that scene. I don't think he would talk like that. I really don't. Well, you know, I don't know the full context of that scene. So you know, like maybe there was another scene because the character that he played obviously has a has a connection to uh, uh, the hitman. Yeah, Samuel Samuel Jackson and 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 John Travolta. And so, so for me, like whenever I watch that scene, it's like, yeah, it, it, it's a little uncomfortable. But at the same time, it's like Samuel L. Jackson is there, and it's like he's in on the joke. He knows, like, okay, this is a, a sleazy underworld, you know, reality that we're dealing with, where nobody's holding anything back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, it's it's so so. I I wonder if if he would do that, or if he would kind of be like, yeah, I, I think that was just me, kind of just you know going for broke, just kind of pushing the boundaries. Um, and here's the thing, like, you know, Tarantino doesn't shy away from using the N-word in, in the book that we read. But at the same time, it's like, but he's got such a deep love for black culture, though. And I'm not saying that that gives him a pass for using the N-word. Yeah. But it's sort of like, I'm not sure exactly what I'm trying to say. But it's like, you know, it, it seems like whenever he he does use the N-word, either his, his, his own characters in his movies or his characters using the term in his movies, it's sort of like, there's some kind of understanding of of like black culture i guess what's well what's different i think what i'm of course not of the the belief that's like it should never be used because a lot of times it's contextual like in django it's about fucking slavery exactly and 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 hateful eight um uh bruce stern's character drops a hard end because he's an it's it's post-civil war he's an ex-confederate general or something like he is a literal racist like a yeah. huge fucking racist right and it it's character building and he's an evil motherfucker so yeah. like i do think there it, it's in pulp fiction where he's just like it's one it's quentin himself it's not like yeah. a character yeah. that quentin wrote and it's like saying it to a black person it seems gratuitous he says it like a lot yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's a, a dead lot. blank in my yeah. driveway like, do you think yeah. i like bl- dead n-words in my driveway would you yeah. want dead i'm paraphrasing here i'm yeah. not look I, I love the movie i'm not oh, like yeah, saying yeah. i just no. i don't think he would do that today i think it's the right. one i do think he would cut it and he would no. not have himself on camera in 2023 yeah. saying those lines in a movie that yeah. takes place in 2023 now, i mean yeah. that takes place in the 60s sure. but like a movie that takes place in 2023 so i yeah. mean my view is don't cut it like yeah, it would yeah. like if it's on streaming i hope that doesn't get cut right yeah, like that's yeah. the movie and that is what's yeah. happening sometimes yeah um which i think would suck like that's that's um w- what's the word uh extricating or whatever it is um so every once in a while a scene will get cut from a movie that explains kind of a plot hole so i wonder if there was like like you know maybe there was a scene that that establishes his character as being a bigoted piece of shit besides that scene obviously but it's like i, I wonder if there's like oh we, like we, like if you put if you put that scene in it's like okay it makes more sense why well i even think well i even think later showing his wife is black it's like like that, that's on purpose 
Right, right. Like the wife doesn't even have a line. They just yeah. could have had anyone. You could have picked a woman off the street to do it. Yeah. And like yeah. I think I think that was very much on purpose to like fuck with the audience. Right, right. Like, oh really he's racist? Well, he's married to a black woman. Like <laughs> right, right. So um which I agree. Like, I don't think you can be racist to a race that you're married to. Like you could do something unintentionally racist. Like if you believe racism, I guess it's your definition of racism, which we're not going to get into right now. Yeah, yeah, but like, yeah. like happens all the time. Bill Burr. It's like, Oh, Bill Burr's racist. He's married to a black woman. Yeah. Like, he makes yeah. some jokes that sometimes are, are, are like make fun of black people. Cause he makes fun of everyone. Yeah, his yeah. views. I don't know if he has jokes about it, but did you ever see this? It, it, it went viral a couple of years ago, but so there were some dumb debate so, so like between a woke person and a non-woke person and 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 the woke person said something like you know um you know so, so, you know even white men who marry black women they'll marry them you know, um because like they, they want to subjugate them or something like that and bill burr's wife who's who is black she chimed in and she said shut the fuck up and it's just like <laughs> but it's like yeah dude like let yeah. white guys marry black women like there's nothing more racist than <laughs> being a loving, caring partner for someone of another race. Yeah, the same thing happened with uh, with like adoption. Yeah, it was yeah. like, I, well, that's that's a. I mean, this is the horse. It's a horseshoe theory. It's why David Duke and Malcolm X actually got along really well because they had the <laughs> same goal: separate yeah. the races. Yeah, they had different yeah. reasons for it, yeah, but they had yeah. the same goal. Like it, it's yeah. the same shit. Um, Speaking of adoption. Uh, so I, I finished the book last night and oh, really? okay. the, the final chapter where he's talking about Floyd, um, yeah, yeah. the guy who was living Unexpected with him. Unexpected chapter. Yeah, that was interesting. But like, I, I gotta swear, like, I gotta say, like, it was actually kind of touching. Like, oh, very touching. The, the, explained the, the, a lot. Yeah, it did. And especially like the last part where he's talking about how Floyd was basically the one who kind of inspired him to 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 get into screenwriting because Floyd was 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 this is, so for, for for people who haven't read the book Floyd was this black guy who was living with Tarantino and his mom for a bit he kind of floated around in their social circles yeah he was renting and, a room yeah he was he's running a room there um but he was a huge fan of movies and pop culture and so he introduced you know Tarantino him and Tarantino they they they, they nerded out over movies and music and everything and um uh, you know, he was kind of a vagabond, you know, where he was sort of like he had some kind of job, but it was always kind of a little vague about where he was getting his money from. And he's kind of, yeah. he kind of a drifter. But but one thing that was kind of interesting about him was that he was inter interested in screenwriting and he was working on screenplays. And so Tarantino was talking about how he read this guy's mm -hmm. screenplays and he was talking about how one of the scripts that he wrote was a Western where the main character was like a, a, a former slave or was basically like a black guy in, black in the wild west a yeah. black cowboy who was like this yeah. the, 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 the super cool anti-hero and so tarantino says like you know this did not you know i didn't use a single scene from that script in my in, in django unchained mm -hmm. however just the idea of having like a cool black guy you know in 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 the wild west sort of thing like that sort of basic concept yeah. And also, like the the, the 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 final line of the book, he he says that you know when he won a, when he when he won the Oscar for best original screenplay for Django Unchained, he's like I should have I should have thanked Floyd for that. And it's like oh man, like that was that that that's kind yeah. of like, like a bittersweet ending at the end. Like that was that was that was cool. wait yeah he di he didn't thank Floyd. I, I he did not. I, I think the final the final line was like I should have yeah. thanked Floyd for that. Yeah yeah you're right. So I. I don't know how he died, where he died, or where he's buried, but I do know I should have thanked him, right? Yeah. 
Right, right. So um, one, but I want to talk about that chapter a little too, but yeah. I just want to say I never understood like the criticism of Tarantino on these grounds because it's like, first of all, he could be making stories about any type of person. He made a story about like a heroic black cowboy, which is like yeah. rare. Yeah. Uh, he, he put a female lead just kicking male ass in Kill Bill 1 and 2. Yeah. Like, mostly male ass, some female ass, but like just kicking ass taking yeah. like taking her own uh like life in her own hands and creating her own destiny or whatever it is like yeah. doing really badass shit and then um making a um what was the last one uh black cowboy Uma Thurman. oh and then having a movie where jews shoot hitler in the face yeah. a thousand times like yeah. what, what, on these identitarian grounds like could you ask for anything more <laughs> exactly it's like, it's like you know like like the, the villains in his movies are are like slave uh, owners <laughs> slave and nazis. owners nazis <laughs> uh like like the most uh misogynistic remember like i'm oh also uh remember the i'm buck and i came to fuck like that <laughs> yeah 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 like misogynistic guys um I don't know. I never got it, but people focus on that like one scene in Pulp Fiction where it's like, well, it's, he, he said the N word. Um, so, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. like, if anything, there's, there's something very cathartic about a lot yeah, of it's, it's a myopic so, view. It's stupid. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's vapid. So, um, and also Jackie Brown, like the, the main character, the main yeah. character was a black woman, like a really cool, kick ass black yeah. woman, too. Pam Greer, who's Pam an Greer. icon. Yeah. Um, that was a great movie. Uh, uh, my, my roommate Zach showed it to us, and and that was like one of the few Tarantino movies I hadn't seen yet. So oh, really? Was, yeah, it was so good. I love okay. that one. Yeah, Jackie Brown's good. Um, he said actually the Samuel L. Jackson character in that is similar to Floyd. Yes, like that's right. To Floyd, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Really cool, but kind of kind of sleazy. <laughs> well, that's what I liked about the last chapter. It wasn't saccharine. It was like he's like, no, Floyd's an asshole. Like yeah. he didn't actually give a shit about me. He only cared about himself. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he definitely did illegal shit. Uh, he, you know, he would not live up to it. He said, we're going to go see a movie on Saturday night and not show up like that. Kind of stuff. Yeah. He like, yeah. wasn't, he didn't make him to this father figure, but he also appreciated Floyd for who he was. Yeah. And I thought like that kind of grounded chapter was really, really interesting and like opened up like so unexpected that yeah. I got so personal like that. Because besides that, he talks about like, you know, his mom's friends and his mom and like being around adults. And so just kind of like basic stuff. And there's like a really deep chapter that that in the book yeah. and how, and how not just to open up about him, but his artistic endeavors. Yeah. 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 No, that that's cool. I, I always love hearing about sort of like, and, and here's the thing, like when you're reading the book and you're, you're and you're reading about like the movies that influenced Tarantino he's not always explicit about how the movie influenced him, but you're also mm -hmm. kind of like, okay, he's gushing about this scene. I, I saw a variation of the scene in, you know, in, in glorious bastards, or I saw a variation mm -hmm. of the scene in, in Pulp Fiction or something like, where you're like, okay, I can see how this movie stuck with you. I can see why you're still writing about this movie 40 years later, 45 years later. <clears throat> yeah. Um, th th there was one scene, I think it was in the, uh, there's no table of contents. Did that bother you at all? That there's no table of contents? Um, what do, wait, yeah, there is. Oh, Not no, mine. There's, an, there's an index. What are you I looking it, for? Was it the outing? The outfit? The outfit. It has the, word, the outfit. That's what it was. The outfit. 
he was talking about some movie. I don't think it was that movie, but I think it was in that chapter. He was talking about a scene where these two characters get into a car together and they're they're having a very friendly conversation, and then the driver mm. just turns around and shoots the other guy in the head just very <laughs> casually. And it's like that's so that's like yeah. Like, and even Tarantino even says in that he goes like, "Yeah, you can see why that's my favorite scene in that movie." And it's like, yeah, yeah. Like, that was basically Pulp Fiction right there. But, yeah, uh, and I know we're we're finishing up soon. The last yeah. thing I want to say because we can talk yeah. about like we could go on about taxi driver and other stuff. We can say that for another episode too yeah. if we want to continue. Yeah. Yeah. But I do want to say I I've, I watched um, Rolling Thunder, really good movie, uh, simple. What he calls uh, what's called revenge matics. Yeah, that cool. was one. So some film critic at the time called them at the time. Yeah, I like that a lot. And there's one moment. There's one line in it that I loved, and then coincidentally, I I after I finished the movie that night, I happened to be reading that chapter, mm. and it's so fucking good. Where the main character goes, I found the men who killed my son, and Johnny, who's um, who's Tommy Lee Jones's character, goes, I'll just get my gear, and yeah. and like he and I loved that line, and I love that he literally. Uh, like centers it and in, in the book yeah in the, in the uh tight in the courier new typeface and uh, like it connected with him too and it connected with all the people he said like no matter what theater i was in because he talks about actually reminded me of you a little when mm. you were living back then like just driving around la going to different theaters and yeah. watching rolling thunder he yeah. said no matter what theater he went to people yeah. loved that line and i actually felt a connection there yeah. like i'm sitting on my couch in in new jersey in 2023 yeah and i hear that line and i like love it i immediately pull out my notes app and, and write it down because i'm going to write my review for it and then i read that line i'm like holy shit he loved that line all these audiences in 1970 i forgot when that came out 76 or 77 yeah mid 70s yeah. um love that line and it's just like it added so much character development in a single moment because tommy lee jones character like isn't in it that much yeah until the end he's in it here and there um and just like this military uh obeisance to um like doing your duty and honor and justice yeah. all in one sentence so so cool yeah there's something about 70s dialogue that i love where it's like they didn't they weren't afraid to kind of like take a few steps out of comprehension where they're like, okay, I'm going to step back. I'm not going to explain Tommy Lee Jones's uh, duty to you in a long monologue. It's like, no yeah. one line. And you, you immediately understand, even though he like, he doesn't go on to a lot, some long exposition about, you know, uh, uh, you know, his, his loyalty to his friends. It's like, mm. okay, that one line that sums it up. Um, it was, there's it something was so about good. 70s dialogue that I just love. Where it's like they're they're not yeah. afraid to, 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 to like condense a big theme into like you know a, like one line. Yeah, I, I would. So I'm gonna see Dirty. I'm gonna watch Dirty Harry. It's on my a couple others I put on there that I yeah. hadn't seen from the book. Um, Lords of Flatbush. You could see it or not. Like I, I thought it was low budget. It's fun. Mm -hmm. It's enjoy. It, it's good. But it, yeah. like Rolling Thunder ruled. Like I definitely recommend seeing it. Tarantino said it's one of the best character studies he's ever seen. Yeah. He says how like I love that that actor. It was like one of those movies where I went and I looked up that actor, uh, Duvain. Is it yeah. William Duvain? And yeah. like want to see more of him because I didn't really know him. And yeah, he was so good in it. Yeah, that's that's definitely on my list. Yeah, like like 
I've seen a lot of movies from that era, and and I, I'm glad that that, that Tarantino sh- sh- shone a spotlight on on a bunch of movies that I hadn't yeah. seen yet. Um, but yeah, I, I watched Escape from Alcatraz from yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that one too. That's a really damn good. I, I've actually been to Alcatraz, so it's actually been oh, really, really fun. Yeah, yeah, I, I've been there two or three times. Yeah, I mean, like you know, I killed a couple people, so you know, whatever. I had so right. I did not. No, no. So so actually, interesting little little, little trivia fact. Um, that movie is part of the reason why there is le- electricity at Al- at Alcatraz because mm. when they were shooting there, because the uh, the prison actually shut down like mid sixties, yeah, and so they just kind of let it rot for a while. Yeah. But like because they needed to like shoot, you know, they have lights and cameras and everything. They actually had to like you know create a whole bunch of cables from San Francisco to Alcatraz. Wow. So so that's the reason why it's kind of like a tourist trap nowadays because oh, of that that's movie. Cool. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, um, it's, and it's funny because like. When you watch the movies, it's like it's, it's PG rated. It's like yeah, this would not be rated PG today. It's like it's mm. it's it's a little stronger than that. But uh, um, yeah, uh, yeah, check out uh, uh, check out um, cinema speculation. Cinema speculation, yeah. Um, we can we can bring up some of the stuff again later. Um, yeah, I mean we I think... we've we've had a whole episode on Tarantino. What's your what's your favorite Tarantino movie? It goes back and forth because for the longest time it was Pulp Fiction, but I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Really? Yeah, I could see you loving because You love LA. Yeah, exactly. So actually, my roommate uh, a few years back, his his previous girlfriend, she, for his birthday, she took him to the to the Mexican restaurant. It was it was mm-hmm. it was the final place that. Um, Sharon Tate ate at. Oh yeah, died. yes, yes, yes. El Coyote, mm-hmm. which is still there apparently. Um, oh, really? and and yeah it's still there yeah it's been there for like 50 years or something like that cool and and then right afterwards she took him to see once upon a time in hollywood so it was like he's like oh this is so like cool like it's like that all this stuff cool. and, um so uh well, that, that yeah. is what's cool about i mean we you took me to see the spot where is it tim ross character gets shot in yeah reservoir dogs is dude, that tim ross yeah yeah dude yeah so it's funny i didn't even i didn't even know this notice this until like a few weeks afterwards on my fridge, there's a map of Highland Park, the neighborhood that I live in in LA, mm-hmm. and it has all the shooting locations of Reservoir Dogs. And so I asked my roommate, I was like, hey, hey, where did you get this at? And he goes, oh, we went to that film festival a few a few weeks back. I thought you got one of those. I was like, no, no. So they actually, like, it actually shows, it's like, oh, like, here's where Mr. White gets shot, and here's where the chase scene between Mr. Pink and Mr. Brown takes place. I was like, oh, shit, like, it's all right here within walking distance. That's very so, cool. Yeah. But uh, anyway, Tarantino's cool. Movies are cool. And movies are cool. Yeah, I like him. And uh, stay reckless, Mr. Tarantino. And you too, Ben. Stay reckless, Joe. Fight the crits. Fight them. Fight.